Uh, the thing for me is my, my life changed in the moment. Uh, what I thought my life looked like, what I thought my life was going to be about changed in my camp experience. Um, it, it changed the trajectory to where I went to uh, college. The, the guys who invited me to, to camp that, that summer uh, were the guys who encouraged me to go to a Christian university, which then uh, turned out to be where I felt I was called to be a, a pastor. And I, I trace it all back to that experience in a moment when I felt God's hope in my life. And so that's our hope for you. That's why I stand before you. Uh, I, I never thought I'd be a public speaker. It wasn't my goal. It wasn't my goal to be a pastor growing up at all. Uh, but at some point, I, I truly believed in what I had experienced, and I want people to experience that. And so that's why I stand before you the, this morning. And so this Heartbeat series is, is kind of that. It's, it's my heart uh, for what I think God is calling us to as a leadership team. We, we've talked through these and, and what we believe. If you've missed this, I would encourage you to go back and listen to them. Uh, don't be afraid. Some of you are, I know, maybe a little afraid of technology at times. Uh, it's really simple. Our website is stltrinitychurch.net. Uh, there's a listen button. All you got to do is click the listen. It's going to take you right to all of the messages. And so if you've missed one in this Heartbeat series, we'd love for you to go back and to, to listen to it. Because these are our core values. These are the things that are going to determine and guide us in, in what we do. And so I want you to know where we're headed. I want you to know what we believe and the things that are the most important to us, the things that will determine if we're on the right path. And so this morning, our core value uh, is this. Uh, last week, we looked at we will follow the life and teaching of Jesus. We believe what Jesus said, and we believe what he said uh, means uh, we're going to do what he said, that it's not just going to be something we hear, but we want to be doers of, of God's word and, and what he's taught and the way Jesus lived. And so this week, we believe that God's about renewal, and he invites us to play a part in it. The God is about renewal, and he invites us to play a part in it. This is what we are about. Uh, let's quickly define renewal. It's a state of being made new, fresh, or strong again. Renewal is a state of being made new, fresh, or strong again. We believe this is what God is about. That, that we believe he is about making us, you, new, fresh, and strong again. This morning we're going to take a look at a few things when it comes to renewal. One, a personal renewal. Uh, second, a cultural renewal. And then third, participating in this renewal. Uh, the first one, personal renewal. I used a prop at summer camp and uh, I found someone who had a straight jacket. And so I thought if I have a straight jacket and th this scripture was what I was teaching, uh, I I'm going to use it again with you guys. And so I, it wasn't hard to find a couple of guys to help me. They were excited about putting me in a straight jacket uh, again. Not you, Jay. Uh, but if you guys want to come, uh, come help me. Yeah. They, they enjoy this. Okay, so uh, we're going to look at a scripture, John 5, 1 through, uh, through 9. It's a little tight. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so let, let's look at it as they uh, put this on me. It says, uh, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Let's stay here just for a second. Um, so what, what this is, is there was a pool by the temple. And in the Old Testament, they would sacrifice lambs uh, for forgiveness. And so what they would do is they would take these lambs into the pool and they would wash them before they were sacrificed. 
And so there were a group of people who believed that this water was kind of magical. They believed that the water would stir, that an angel would appear, and the water would stir, and when it stirred, it had healing power. And so it was like in a, a kind of a porch area, and these people would lay there looking for healing. Let's, let's go on. It says here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. These are people who would be utterly hopeless, could do nothing on their own, that needed help. And so these are the people who would gather there looking for healing, looking for something to make them new. Next verse. It says, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. So something had happened in this guy's life. He had an injury, he had an illness that had debilitated him to where he could do nothing for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Let's go back just for a second and stay there. Do you want to get well? Uh, now, I share this, and in no way would I, would I say Jesus is dumb, but this is one of those questions when you hear it, you kind of think, that's kind of a dumb question, isn't it? I mean, th- this guy has been in this condition for 38 years. Jesus comes on the scene, he walks around, he finds out this guy's story, and he approaches him, and he asks him, do you want to be well? Do you want to get well? Do you want hope? Do you want to be made new? Do you want your life to look different. See, because I, I think it may feel like a dumb question, but, but I think there's a lot to it. I think there's a lot behind it. Because like this guy was used to it, so did he really ever think life would look different? Did, did he just think this is how his life was going to be forever? And so he was at the pool every day, but never really thinking anything would change. And so when Jesus comes and says, do you want to get well, the guy has to really answer the question. And so for us, I think there's a lot of things that can put us in this position. Maybe we're not an invalid. Maybe we're able to take care of ourselves. But I think there's a lot of things that make us feel like we're not free. That, that make us constricted like we're in a straitjacket. That, that there's no way we can go on living life. That there's no way we'll escape. There's no way that any way, anything can look different for our lives. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's an addiction you've had for a really long time and you're just stuck in it. And you think for you, there, there's no way out. Uh, maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a relationship with a, a sibling. Maybe it's a relationship with your kids. You haven't talked to them in a while. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe today makes it really hard because it is Father's Day and your relationship with your dad is rough. And so you feel like that relationship can never look different. I don't know what it is for you. I wonder what it is that puts you in this position where you feel like you can never be free. And so Jesus comes and offers the invitation to this guy. The guy doesn't ask him, does he? He doesn't seek out Jesus. Jesus pursues him and offers him that his life could look different. But, but let's see how he responds. He says, sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. The guy doesn't even realize that the one who he is talking to is the one who can bring healing. No idea. 
And so what does he do? He responds with every reason why he can't be well. Right? So, he, so he gives these excuses. And so for us, what I think we do, we just become discouraged, and so we give up. The longer it goes on, the more discouraged we get. The longer you stay bound, the more discouraged you become. And so you think there'll be no other way. We make promises, God, I'll never do it again. I'm going to escape, and we try on our own, but, but it never happens. And so we give up, and we think life will never look different. Or we make excuses. We make excuses about the things that have put us here. So the guy's been here 38 years, and he's never been able to get in the water. He's never had anyone help him in. He's never gotten closer to the water. And so he makes excuses. Look, no one's here to help me. Nothing's ever going to look different. So maybe for us, we say, I can't stop. I can't change. It's just who I am. And we just deal with the pain and we make excuses or we compensate for the problem. So whatever it is that's put us in this position, we just compensate for it. So we say, you know, it's really no big deal. It's no big deal. I can handle it. We find other ways to mask it. So if you're insecure, if you have problems with relationships, oftentimes you'll just find something else to try and cover it up. And that also usually puts us into this position. And so we deny we have a problem. So here's the truth. We're all like this guy. We we all need a healing. We all need hope in our lives. But we can't do it on our own. And so we get in this position and we try to get out, but it takes someone or something to free us. And Jesus is standing there and he's the one who can do it. And so verse 8, it says, Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. So there's this invitation that Jesus gives. Do you want to be well? Then he gives him a challenge. All right, get up. Your your life can look different. It doesn't have to stay the way it's always been. There is something new for you. You can be made new. But we all have to believe and understand that we can't do it on our own, that there has to be something that will set us free. All right, boys, you guys can come back. Please. And so this is what Jesus does all the time. Jesus is always doing this personal renewal in people's lives. People who are in situations and believe there's no way out, Jesus is always freeing people. Uh, if you don't believe me, let, let's look at a, a, another story. Thanks, bud. Let's look at a, another story. It's found in Mark 5, 24 and 34. If you don't have a Bible, I didn't say this a minute ago, but we'd love for you to, uh, to take one. There should be one around you. Uh, that's our gift to you and the page number on there to help us all, uh, all get there. So Mark 5, 24 through 34. So Jesus is moving. Someone has come to him and said, look, my daughter has died. Uh, you can heal her. Please come. Uh, and so Jesus is on the move, and, and we'll catch up in verse 24. It says this. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been a subject to bleeding for 12 years. This is a womanly bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. We could stay here in this spot for a while, couldn't we? 
that there's areas in our lives that we need healing and we'll try everything else. We believe there's something else that will heal us. There's something else that will fix us. There's something else that will bring us hope. But, but it doesn't, and that's what she's done. Verse 27, it says, When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, his robe, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. This is a woman who has heard what Jesus has done. And she thinks, my life can look different because of this man. This Jesus who is helping change people's lives can also change mine. Verse 29 says this, immediately her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she, had, that she was freed from her suffering. Let's stay there just for a second. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was what? Freed from her suffering. In that moment, she went from being someone who was completely hopeless, thinking that this is how life is always going to be, to in a moment, she felt free. Let's keep going. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? So earlier there was kind of a, a, a question that Jesus asked that didn't seem very, very smart. This is another one of those, and you'll see the disciples, they say, you see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? Right? J- Jesus knows that something's happened. It's not just a brush by, it's not just a pat on the back. Jesus knows that someone has believed that he could change their life, that someone has found freedom. Verse 32 But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. This is personal renewal. This is believing that our lives don't have to look like they've always looked. That our past doesn't have to determine our future. That, that what our parents did doesn't have to be what we do. Right? There, there is this potential, and this is what I'm, I'm trying to do in my own life. I come from a, a family of divorce. My, my mom comes from a family of divorce. Uh, it's been in our cycle. So I can choose to believe that something has happened in my life, that God has made me new, and then I'll break that cycle. Not because of me, but because of this. Because Jesus is about personal renewal. So so God is bigger than your fears. God is bigger than your worries and your struggles. Bigger than your addictions. He's bigger than whatever it is that's put you in this place where you feel bound. But but we each have to kind of answer this question. Do we want to be well? Do we believe that God really has the power to give us hope? So two just really quick things. Seek God. So this woman was looking for everything else that could do it. And they all let her down. But what if you just gave God a chance? What if you really believed that he could change relationships, your life, and your future? Give God a chance. And then number two, get help. These people didn't do it on their own. Jesus intervened and helped them. I think God uses people to help us totally believe that. And so get help if you need help. So God is all about personal 
renewal. But that's not it. I believe that God is also about this cultural renewal. In the Old Testament, in Jeremiah 29, 5 through 7, these people are in exile, and this is what they're told. Jeremiah 29, 5 through 7. It says this, Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. So you have this personal renewal, this growth of yourself. Take care of of who you are. But he doesn't stop there. He says this. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. It's this thought, if your community goes well, you'll be well. That we shouldn't just care about our own peace, about our own prosperity, but, but we should care about what happens in our community. We, we should care about our culture. That This is a command that's been given to these people. But, but I don't think we always do very well with this, and I think there's a couple reasons. But one of those reasons, I, I think, is because maybe you've heard it said, don't, don't mix your faith, don't mix your religion, don't mix your Christianity with the other things in your life. So don't bring it into the workplace, don't bring it anywhere else. That, that's what you believe. Whatever you believe, keep it private. But to the critics, those who would say that, I would say none of us do that. We all have worldviews that determine everything that we do. Right, so when we do this, it's this kind of dualism belief that what we believe and the way we live or the, the way we believe and how we act out our faith are two different things. We, we separate it, that there's two parts. There's this sacred and then there's this secular, and they don't combine. So, so we don't let them combine. Now, there was a time, and I think the church is still doing this, but there was a time when the church had a huge influence on culture. A a long time ago, there was a change in people's attitudes toward the poor, the weak, the marginalized, women, classes, races, because of the gospel, because of the message of Jesus. Jesus preached something different, and it influenced culture. Culture changed because of a group of people who followed Jesus. Not by power, but by serving and by being loving to others. But, but we, there's been this shift, and we are in this post-Christian world. I'm sure you know that. We're in this post-Christian world that, that the majority of people no longer have faith in, in, in the gospel. They may claim they do, but it doesn't really impact their lives. And so because of that, we should have even... Uh, a, a bigger desire for what we believe to have an influence on culture and to renew it. Uh, Tim Keller, who's a pastor in New York City, uh, he says there's three mistakes we make in trying to do this. Uh, the first one is we become defensive against. We become defensive against. Uh, this would be the extreme religious right. This is the extreme religious right where we feel like there's this battle and we have to take back what is ours. There's also this thought that uh, culture changes because of politics. So oftentimes, if we just believe the right person is in place, then it will change culture. But here's the truth. 
the only reason people make decisions in politics is because culture has changed. Not, not because the person in power is making decisions. The only way they're making those decisions is because culture has changed. And so for some people, we feel like we've got to defense, be defensive against. So we have to take back what's ours. Uh, the second mistake is this purity from. That if we get too involved with culture, it's going to corrupt us. It's going to change who we are. So there's this thought, well, we shouldn't have anything to do with culture then. We, we should remove ourselves from all of that. So they're sacred and they're secular and anything that's secular don't have anything to do with. And so that means we've removed ourselves in a lot of ways from music, from being in entertainment with movies or art. So we've removed ourselves from that area of culture because we've had this fear that it would corrupt us. And so what happens is we have this fortress mentality. Let's build our fortress this building, and bring as many people in here from out there as we can and keep them safe. Let's build bigger buildings. Let's get more people. Let's protect them because there's this purity from mentality. Now, if you've, uh, our, our denomination, the Nazarene denomination, um, it, it's about 100 years old. And when it got started, it got started in the city. So in the L.A. area, there was this thought, we have to meet the needs of people. And so in most cities in America, there was a first church of the Nazarene in the city. And they had an impact on culture. And over the years, first churches have left the city. So there's actually not a lot of cities that you'd go to and you'd find a first church still in the city. They've moved to the suburbs. And we build a fortress and we protect ourselves and other people. And, and even a, a while back, there was this thought of just purifying us from all of those things. And we swung really far one way. And so we thought, don't, don't dance and don't play cards with faces on them. And we just have to abstain from anything that even gives the hint of being evil. Instead of the other mentality of going into that area and bringing light, we were afraid of the dark. And so there's this wrong way of approaching cultural renewal by just thinking we need to purify ourselves from it. And then the third one is being relative too. So this idea is we change who we are. So we have to change the gospel. We have to change the story of Jesus to have an impact on culture. So we change who we are. Uh, Cademan, my little boy, uh, wants to be like me, and he spends a lot of time with our students, and so he picks up some of the things our students say, and somewhere he picked up this little phrase. And so, we, yeah, we were, uh, we were driving. It wasn't that bad. Uh, we we're driving down the road, and he does something well, and this is what he said. Mailed it. We're like, I said, what? What did you say, Cademan? He said, mailed it. And I said, what do you mean mailed it? He said, I did something good. And I said, oh, you mean nailed it. And so now every time he doesn't say nail it, he still goes around and says, says mailed it. Now here's the deal. Cade wants to be like us. But he doesn't really understand everything. And so it's kind of this other version of me, but really just ends up looking kind of silly, doesn't he? Don't we? When the church tries to change our message and just be relevant, completely relevant, like we want to be um, culturally um, relevant in the sense of we want to meet people where they're at. 
We want to understand what people are dealing with, but we don't want to change what we believe. So if we become too relative to, then we lose who we are. But, but there is a way that can work. There, there is a way that we can lead this cultural renewal, and that's this faithful presence within. So, so we don't want to think it's something we've got to take over. We don't want it to be something we remove ourselves from. We want to have a faithful presence within. That, that means in all areas that, that those who follow Jesus should have an impact in. In finances, the arts. I love that my daughter dances. I, I want her to have an impact in, in the arts. If you're uh, artistic and you can draw or paint, that is a great thing and you should use that. You use that to bring light into an area that can often be dark. Education, so if you're a teacher, if you're a student, uh, medicine, science, uh, whatever it is that you do, whatever it is that you do, your, your faith, if you confess to follow Jesus, and I know not everyone here does, but if you do, then you should believe that you have an opportunity to go into wherever you're at and have a faithful presence within. These things should be impacted by what you believe about the gospel. They can't be divided. We don't need to divide what we believe by how we live. So we want to fight against the idea that we're right. right? So if you, if you have conversations with people and you ever feel like it's a debate, I'd encourage you to stop. Don't feel like you've got to be right. But let them know you're for them. And this is what I mean, mean by that. This is a word picture. There's a guy by name Alex Absalon. Um, that I'm learning from. He's from England, and he's uh, doing great things, and and this is something I've I've learned from him. Uh, God is for us. That's fundamental. You you have to first believe that, that God is for you. Many people think God is against us, but Jesus is about freeing people, right? We just looked at two stories. Jesus was for these people, and so we have God here with the halo. He is for us, and then we have that God is with us, So God being for us is great, uh, but God is also with us. So in the Old Testament, uh, Moses in the burning bush. So if you know that story, there's a guy named Moses. He has this encounter with God. God speaks through a burning bush, and God is with him. But there's still this barrier. So that's the, the sad face, that God is with us, but we don't feel completely connected to him. So God is for us, but God is with us. And then this is where everything changes. God becomes one of us. He becomes one of us. So he sends his son, God sends his son Jesus into the neighborhood. Listen to this. There's a translation called the message. And uh, he says this in John 1, 14. Says it like this. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind glory. Like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. So God is for you. God is with you, but then everything changes when, one, when, when Jesus becomes one of us. So we should put a red hat because we know God is uh, a Cardinals fan. And so uh, we'll put that. But then something changes again, and, and we understand that God is in us. So God is for us, God is with us, 
God becomes one of us. He loves, he lives, he serves among us, and then he's in us. God puts the DNA of of himself in us by the Holy Spirit. And so here's the deal. If we believe that God is for us, then we have to believe that God is for other people. If we believe that God is for us, then I have to believe that God is for all people. Remember a few weeks ago, loved people, love people? That God is for people. But I don't think people know that, that God is for them because it feels like oftentimes those who confess to follow Jesus are against them. We feel like we need to be right, not loving. And so oftentimes, people don't believe that God is for them. So do people know that God is for them because we're for them? Do, do people know that God is with them because we're actually with them? Are, are we with people? It's really easy the longer you're a follower of Jesus to kind of only have Jesus friends. So, so do we even have friendships? Do we have acquaintances with people who don't follow Jesus? We should be with them. Do, do people know that God became one of them because we are one of them? Do we, do we spend time with them? Do we play sports with them? Do we, are we one of them? It's funny when people uh, ask me what I do. I often don't offer that uh, the first time I meet someone and I'm interacting, whether it's on a golf course or wherever. Because uh, when they find out I'm a pastor, everything kind of changes. Uh, but the best compliment I can ever get from someone is when they're surprised that I'm a pastor because they say, wow, you're pretty normal. <laughs> right? Pretty normal. Right? And I think what's happening is I'm trying really hard I'm trying really hard. I don't do good all the time. I make mistakes, but I'm trying really hard to help people see that God is for them, God is with them. I want to be one of them. There's this guy named Howard Stern. I'm guessing some of you know who that is. Uh, He uh, has a radio station. Millions of people listen to it. There was a church in Ohio that on their marquee, they were doing a series, and on the marquee it said, what would Jesus say to Howard Stern? What would Jesus say to Howard Stern? Someone driving by saw the sign, took a picture of it, and sent it to Howard Stern's people. It was a Monday morning, and the pastor's in a meeting. Secretary comes in, tells the pastor, you have a a message, you have a a phone call, you probably want to take this. It's Howard Stern's people. Howard Stern's people call this pastor and says, Howard Stern would love to talk to you on air. And so the pastor says, okay, uh, three requirements. He listens to the message first. He talks to me on Friday morning at 7 a.m. When, when Howard Stern has the biggest audience. And the Howard Stern talks to him in a private message afterwards. This pastor thinks there's no way Howard Stern will do this. And Howard Stern says, yes, I'll do it. And so that Friday, this pastor gets on the phone with Howard Stern. And this is what Howard Stern says. What would Jesus say to me? Is this a positive? I I don't think it will be a positive. I've never heard a church guy give me a positive sermon. That's, I mean, he's Howard Stern. But but still, God's for him. God is for Howard Stern. This pastor didn't attack him. 
didn't chastise him. He's one of the guys that's been a part of this, so he kind of taught Howard Stern this. God is for him. God loves him. But this pastor's not that different than him. And it said uh, in, the, in the article that Howard Stern was speechless. That the radio goes silent and Howard Stern was speechless. Because there's this renewal that can take place when people begin to see that God is for them, when we're for them, when we're with them, when we're one of them, when we help them see that God is in them. And there's a real, real uh, tangible way we do this, and I want to I teach you that real, real quickly. Matthew 5, 13. This is Jesus uh, giving instructions uh, to a group of people. Uh, Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount. It's uh, probably the only time Jesus kind of preaches. He gives this long teaching on how to live life uh, differently. And uh, he says this. If you get the setting, they're around the Sea of Galilee. There's hills, mountains all around. Um, and so they've kind of gone up on the hillside, and all these people are sitting around, and Jesus is teaching. And this is what Jesus says. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Just real, real quickly, let's look at the salty part. There are three roles of salt during this day. Uh, the first one was to preserve food. So there's no refrigeration, so any meat, anything that needs to be kept, they would use salt to keep it from spoiling. So he's telling these people, look, you, you're, you're here to preserve what is good and what is right and what is loving. You are the salt of the earth. Uh, the second way salt was used was for healing. For healing. Uh, even today, I, I was looking up stuff with, with salt and medicine, um, medical purposes. It said sore throats, toothaches, uh, postnasal drip, bee stings, mosquito bites, painful gums, poison ivy, poison oak are just some of the ways that doctors still say to use salt. Because salt brings healing and it brings hope. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are called to bring hope and healing to people. Uh, then the, the last way it was used was for seasoning, just like today. It brings more flavor to things. So if we're going to do that, we have to be involved in those things to bring more life to them. As I said earlier, your, your work, listen to me, don't, don't think of your job as just a job. What, whatever you do, see it as an opportunity to live out your faith. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. There is an opportunity for you to be salt in your workplace by the way you treat people, by the way you run business. There's a way even in your business to be salt. So our community should be a better place Simply because those who confess to follow Jesus are in the community. Let me say that again. Uh, our community should be a better place simply because there's people who confess to follow Jesus. All right, he goes on. Uh, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So where Jesus is giving this story, people would have been out on the water in boats at night and they would see the cities on a hill. 
And there would never be a time that a city would go completely dark. And so if you were ever lost on the water, all you had to do was find a city. And you'd know where you are because there was light, which means there was hope. In a house, if someone was to light a lamp, you wouldn't hide it, but you'd put it on a stand because it would light the whole room. So just tangibly, just so you get a, get a visual. So the purpose of light, it seems obvious, but the purpose of light is to, uh, is to bring uh, vision to people, correct? And so light is used where it's dark. All right, go ahead, Mark. Some of you have been afraid. I, I, we took our kids into a, a cave over spring break, and they turn off the lights. My kids held on to me tightly. Why? Because they were afraid. Because it was dark. And so Jesus says, look, light brings hope. Light brings life. He says, that is your responsibility. You, if you confess to follow Jesus, you are to be salt and light, which will help bring renewal. If you are a presence within whatever culture you're in, you'll be the salt in that culture. You'll be the light. It would be dumb to be afraid of the dark and to have a light and to cover it up. It doesn't make sense. It's defeating the purpose of why light is made. Okay, Mark, go ahead. So for us, if we don't do it, we're defeating what, what, what Jesus has put on us. The band's going to come up and they're just going to close in a, in a song for us. But here's the deal. I want to be a part of a group of people who understand that God brings renewal for us. That no matter where you're at, no matter what you're stuck in, it doesn't matter what you're addicted to, it doesn't matter uh, how hopeless you feel, but God can bring healing to you. He can bring healing to your marriage. He can bring healing in a workplace. He can bring healing in a, a parent-child relationship. He can bring healing there. There is a hope that God brings. So number one, we want to be a church that helps people experience personal renewal. But secondly, we care about our community. We want, if we were to close the doors today and never be in this place again, we want our community to suffer because of it. Right? We, we want our community to think, man, what are we going to do now because Trinity is no longer there? I think we're getting there. Uh, one of those ways, just really tangibly, please be praying for us. Uh, there's a group of us who have started meeting and, and working on a nonprofit, uh, a very clear, directional nonprofit that will serve the needs in our community. So we have the iHeart North County that we've been a part of, and we do a few events. This would be uh, more of a, a nonprofit that meets the needs of the people in our area. And so we're doing research on what's going on in our area. What are those needs? What's not being met? Uh, we want to lead cultural renewal by being a presence, a faithful presence within our community. And you're invited to be a part of that. We want you to be a part of what God is doing here. Let's pray. God, thanks for this morning. Thanks for an opportunity. Um, to talk about how you make all things new. When we are in you, Jesus, the old is gone and the new has come. Would you help each one of us to believe that? I pray for the person here today that feels completely hopeless, that they see their life as being in a straight jacket and they're just looking for freedom. Would you today give them hope? Would you begin the process today of bringing freedom? And then would all of us figure out how we can help change the culture 
not by being on attack, not by being right, but by helping people see that we are for them because God is for them. It, it all comes down to this amazing grace. It all comes down to how you have loved us and saved us and set us free. I'm so thankful, God, that you're still doing that and that you invite us to play a part in it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.